0: Father we just thank you for this time that you give us to lift us up with your word and Lord we want to sincerely hear what you have to say to us Lord we don't want our ears tickled we want to know what the truth is so that you can convict and help us to be better individuals better people and even better in ministering to our own family members we just thank you and praise you for what your word has to say to us and we give you praise that You'll be present in all things no matter what we're going through. And we just thank you and give you the praise and all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We won't need the overhead if you all want to turn the lights up. That's great. As an adult with children, I have always wanted the best for each of my children as they grew up. I often imagined how life would be for them once they became adults. You always wonder how your kids are going to turn out. All loving parents want to see our children succeed in their education, and once they get older, their careers, and even in finding their perfect spouse each of these events are significant milestones and in all of them it is our hope that our children look to the lord in all of their life's choices and decisions that is easily the most gratifying result that we want to see from our children living a life that is holy and pleasing to god amen that's what we want to see. We want to see our kids live a life holy and pleasing to God. Now, the verse that everyone thinks about and comes to mind when it talks about dealing with children is this following verse: Proverbs twenty-two six. If you want to turn to it, you're welcome to do so. Proverbs chapter twenty-two, verse six. Proverbs twenty-two six. It says, teach a youth about the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, a lot of us, we hang our hats on that verse. That's very important. That's very important to keep in mind as we go forward with this message. Unfortunately, the challenge that parents of a Christian household will often face with their children, is often far from what we had envisioned when we raised them with the instruction of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. At one point, it appeared in our eyes as parents that a son or a daughter was obedient and responsive to the instruction. But one day, something happened. Something happened where the tide had turned, and the turn occurred because our children possess the very same thing that we possess, free will, free to make choices. They have the ability to make choices, both good and bad ones, in the same way that we do. Amen? We remember how we came up over the years. We remember what we used to do. Amen? Yeah, that's a quieter amen for some of us. We remember those choices we made, and we don't want our children to make the same mistakes. Because we know we made some mistakes. We did some things we shouldn't have done. It's all part of growing up. Our prayers have been and will continue to be that our children's good choices will far outweigh the bad ones. And the bad ones will not be as costly to them. That's our prayer. So this proverb of teaching the child is true. The child doesn't forget what they've learned. Amen? They don't forget it. It's there. The information is there. It is not just your desire that the child does well, but it's also God's desire that the child remembers what was learned. To understand it, and to make the decision to live completely for Jesus Christ. The very principle of that comes out of 1 John 4, 16. You don't need to turn to it, I'll just read it to you. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. It's all about loving God. And loving God in such a way where your behavior, your actions, the things you do every day, is evidence of that. Your love of God. God will be faithful to you, will remain with you. You remain in him, he will be with you. That's what we want. That's what we want for our children. What a blessing it is when our child, who is obedient to the Lord, grows with the same philosophy as an adult. What a praise that is. There's nothing that should make you prouder as a parent to see your child living a godly life as an adult. The things that you've learned and understand, they're living it. They're carrying it out. That's a great praise. When our child veers into a different direction, one that is contrary to living a Christ-like existence, we are deeply affected by it. It leaves the parent, I'll just personalize it, you or I, if you can relate to this, with a feeling of helplessness. And even... Regrets that perhaps somehow you or I could have done something differently that would somehow have made the child behave differently. There may be regret from that. The reality, though, is that a child raised in a Christ-like household may follow the same teaching or may not. And the parents are going to beat themselves up with regret and blame that, frankly, isn't going to change that child's behavior. Not one bit. So it's a lot of energy that's being spent that's not going to change anything. This message is about those children who keep parents up at night. Amen? In moments like this, it's very important to remember God's love and grace and look at ways to manage our interaction with the wayward child. That's what this message is about, the wayward child. That child that keeps you up at night. That child that causes anguish. That child that... Causes you to worry The wayward child Now, what you're going to learn from this, though, is that There is very little that you can do with that wayward child And that's probably not what you want to hear right away But we've got to look at it for what it is That person's making choices That person's making decisions on their own and if they're contrary to what God's word is, well, what can you do in those situations? Well, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, before you interact with your child, you need to examine your own behavior. Now, that why do I have to look at what I'm doing before I interact with my wayward child? Well, that's just it. You do have to look at your own behavior. You've got to look at your situation. You cannot effectively minister to other people, let alone your own child, unless you are paying very close attention to your level of obedience to Jesus Christ. Do I need to repeat that? Okay, I'll repeat it. You cannot effectively minister to anyone, let alone your child, unless you are paying attention to your level of obedience to Jesus Christ. Did I lose you? Because that's really important. You cannot minister to anyone if you are not being obedient to Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, that's a real hang up for a lot of people. You need to go through a self examination of your life and your attitude. There's that word again attitude. We talk about folks who have an attitude problem. How many of you have experienced people who have had an attitude problem? I mean, why isn't everybody raising their hand to that? Everybody has experienced somebody with an attitude problem. And when you experience somebody with an attitude problem, do you want to be drawn near to that person or do you want to get away from somebody? Get away. Remember that. That's what your wayward child would see too if you have an attitude problem. They don't want to be around you. You need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you and be aware of the leanings of the Spirit. It starts with the most important commandments as noted by Jesus Christ. Now you can turn to this, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. We're going to look at those verses and we're going to examine those. And we're actually going to go even deeper into those verses as to what Jesus was saying and how it relates to your attitude. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Now, understand something, too. If you look at this verse, the first thing you'll notice, and I have to be careful because I've already been told that sometimes I yell and I scare people when I'm up here in the pulpit. Well, I'm not here to scare you. I don't want you to be scared of me. Don't be scared. I'm just trying to drive home a point. So I hope you take it in the spirit of that. Because sometimes I can be very scary. I understand that. That's okay. But uh, I figure you could tough it out with me. It says here, and, and look at the attitude of the people here that are even questioning Jesus. The Pharisees have an attitude problem. Let's start with that. Know where they're coming from when they ask this question. They're not asking this question because they really want to be sincerely taught anything. They were doing it to try to test Jesus, try to trick him into something, to say something that would trip him up. So we've already experienced here, before we even got started, somebody who has an attitude. It says in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest. Verse 37, he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Verse 39, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Okay. In order to love your wayward child, And you do love the child, even though there are times when you are disappointed or angered by that child's behavior. Amen? You still love the child. I mean, there are times when you'd want to throw him in the garbage. I understand that. If you could physically do that, you would do it. But you still love that child. You need to draw upon the basic principles of your faith in Jesus Christ. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And we'll talk about that more in detail. Both of these commands of Jesus Christ have a profound effect upon your life. Amen? They do. It's the very basis as to why we're here. They have a profound effect upon your life and the consistency of your behavior. The consistency of your behavior. Remember, you're in the flesh. In order for you to live consistently for Christ, you've got to rely upon the Spirit to do so. And that's all the time. Others who observe your behavior, and especially your child, will see your love for God. What is the one thing that can have an adverse effect on your child or and how he or she responds to you. It's your inconsistent behavior. Inconsistent behavior. Some days you're great, other days you're crappy. Some days are real good, some days not so good. Some days you're following Christ, other days you're swearing. Inconsistent behavior. What bag are you going to come out of today, mom or dad? Your inconsistent behavior is what draws people away from you, pushes people away from you. As a prime example, you can't address the sin of another person without addressing your own sin. You can't address the sin of others unless you address your own sin. And where do I get that from? Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this verse, that's why we're going to look at this more in detail, because people will take this verse and use it improperly. And say, well, you can't judge so-and-so. You can't judge so-and-so. Incorrect. A judgment is making an assessment. A judgment is making a call based upon principles that God puts forth. God is cautious to remind us as believers that we are not to be judging people if we don't have our act together. Amen? I mean, that's what this is about. You can't judge someone else if you are in sin, is the point. It says in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, starting with verse 1, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Because the ultimate judge is going to be who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge. No matter how you slice it, or whether you want to acknowledge it or not, he's going to be the ultimate judge. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? I love that analogy. How can you see what somebody else is doing from the finest detail and you've got this big plank upside your head? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye, hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye. So that you, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Well, in order for you to take the log out of your own eye, what do you have to do? Deal with your own sin, your own transgressions. You can take that speck out of the other person's eye once you deal with your stuff. Amen? Deal with your stuff first. Amen. That's what that means. That means you can help someone out. In their sin and point out to them their sin. And you're not judging them, but you're doing it in such a way where you are now taking care of your situation personally. In righteousness, you can be that judge for Christ. In righteousness. Not in arrogance, not with a bad attitude, in righteousness. So now let's look at the context of this verse when coupled with the second great commandment that Jesus mentions in Matthew 22:39, 39, which is love your neighbors yourself, and where Jesus draws this from in Leviticus 19. Go back to Leviticus 19. See, this is where this all comes from. We want to know where this verse emanates from and how we're talking about judgment and how we can, we have a certain principle we have to follow when it comes to judgment. Reaching other people. And it starts in Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 9 through 18. I'm going to read through a whole litany of verses. But I want you to pick out some key buzzwords here about do not do this, do not do that. This is all about God calling people to a holy living. So don't miss this. And this is uh, God talking to the people of Israel. Verse 9, where we start in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap the ver- to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Look at verse 10. You must not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. Now that talks about being charitable. Leaving stuff for people who are, uh, do not have what you have and being available to give it to them. So that's a mindset you have to have, first of all. Now look at verse 11. You must not steal. Now where have you seen this stuff before? The Ten Commandments. You must not steal. You must not act deceptively or lie to one another. Remember, this is is Matthew 22 again we're talking about. He's deriving it from this section, so don't miss this. You must not act deceptively or lie to one another. Verse 12. You must not swear falsely by my name, profaning... The name of your God, I am Yahweh. Don't bear false testimony. Stop lying. Verse 13, you must not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired hand must not remain with you until morning. Pay somebody what you're owing them. You must not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you are to fear your God. I am Yahweh. Don't mistreat people who have less than you or don't have the same ability that you do. Are you picking up on this, everybody? Treat the people the way they should be treated. Be respectful of them. Verse 15, you must not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich judge your neighbor fairly verse 16 you must not go about spreading slander among your people you must not jeopardize your neighbor's life I am Yahweh it continues look at the things that are being pointed out here this is all about loving your neighbor as yourself verse 17 you must not harbor hatred against your brother rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt Because of him. Note that you can rebuke. You can do those things, but you've got to have your act together. If you know somebody's doing something wrong, tell them about it. Verse 18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Love your neighbors as yourself. That's where that command comes from. But look at all the stuff that goes before that. This part of the message is very important when it comes to the nature of developing a loving and consistent interpersonal relationship with your child. God's love is always to be the foundation of your interaction with anyone, let alone your child. Amen? But you've got to be obedient to God in the process. Obedience is a requirement in this. A requirement. You must remove any hint of hatred or animosity in your dealings with your wayward child. You must remove any hatred, animosity. If they did things to tick you off, you know what you've got to do? You have to forgive them. Are you all hearing me today? You've got to forgive them. Forgiveness is one of the major stumbling blocks for believers. Amen? A lack of forgiveness is a major stumbling block for believers. But what does God say? I forgive you, so therefore you should be forgiving others. So you're holding yourself to a different standard. When it comes to your, I want to bear a grudge. That person wronged me. Is that how you want God to treat you? Because of your sin? Or should there be forgiveness? I'm just saying. Amen. You've got to put off any of that hatred, any lack of forgiveness, anything that's going to keep you from seeing your love Anything that gets in the way of God's truth, God's word, you're not able to minister. You're not going to be able to minister to that child. You have to be sometimes the bigger person. Your sin and your transgressions that God commanded the people of Israel not to do in Leviticus 19 can block your ministry to the child because you're in sin you can't tell a child not to lie about stuff that they've done if you're lying and the child's going to show you with less credibility you won't be as credible turn to Hebrews chapter 10 please Hebrews 10. Now, here's the thing. Understanding that we are in the flesh, we are in sin, everybody has sinned. Amen? Everybody has messed up. There's no one in this room who has not messed up at some time in their life. So this comes back to having the attitude and the approach that if you want to minister to somebody, you've got to have God be involved in that entire process. And there is a reliance upon God in doing so. In Hebrews 10, verse 22, it says, let us draw near to Jesus Christ. We're drawing near to Jesus Christ. I put that as an addition because that is the verses prior that refer to Jesus Christ as who we're drawing near to. Let us draw near to Jesus Christ with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. Now look at this. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Your fellowship and trust in Jesus Christ and reliance in Jesus Christ makes you clean before others. It makes you righteous before others. It makes you righteous before your child. Your child may not like your righteousness, but you know what? You're still righteous anyway. Whether they like it or not won't take away your righteousness. As long as you're being obedient to Christ. You're righteous in Christ. You are made clean. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Now, another point I want to make, which is very important here in this relationship, taking the focus off of yourself. Which essentially means some of us parents need to give ourselves a break. Now, how do I mean that? What does this mean? Number one, acknowledge that you did the best you could as a parent. Amen? It didn't mean you were perfect. Because we're not perfect parents. But you presented the gospel message to your child, and they heard what was necessary for them to effectively discern right from wrong. You taught your kids the difference between right and wrong. There is no good energy that you can spend in regret over what might have been. Amen? It won't do you any good. What might have been is like what you read in novels. Doesn't mean anything. What if I had done this differently? Maybe I should have spanked him 500 more times. You think that would matter? You can't regret what you did as a parent. If you were trusting in the Lord and following the Lord, you did the best you could. So give yourself a break. Number two, acknowledge that you can't control their behavior. You can't control anybody's behavior, let alone your child. The choices the child makes are on the child alone, not you. Don't take ownership of something your kid does. If you do that, that's, again, wasted energy. You're making yourself sick over what that person does. You can't do anything about it. Well, there's something you can do. We'll get to that. When you decide that you did everything you could as a parent and that you can't do anything about your child's behavior, it comes down to taking the most humble approach and doing the most important thing that you can do for your child. What is it? Prayer. You can't do anything but pray for your child. Amen? Prayer should have been the first thing you think about. Prayer is what you do. Your communication to God should be the natural response when God communicates with you through his word and through his spirit. Your prayers are going to do what? Make a difficult situation bearable. Make a difficult situation bearable. God gives us nothing more than we as individuals can bear. But we have to trust in him on that. He gives us nothing that we cannot handle but what happens to us is that we don't rely upon God's energy and strength in those moments you can make an argument that many people commit suicide because they're not really trusting in God's energy and power to get them through a situation and it would be a valid argument he doesn't give us anything more that we can't bear but we've got to be in prayer Got to be in prayer. He hears your prayers and, in the midst of your affliction, provides first and foremost peace to your soul. How many of you want peace for your soul? How many of you want rest for your body? Is there anybody in here that doesn't want peace or rest for their body? I mean, that's why you pray, isn't it? Isn't that why you pray? You are praying for peace. You need a moment of relaxation. You need a moment of rest. You don't want to have anxiety. You don't want to be depressed over your child. You want rest. You want peace. Go to Psalm 31. Psalm 31 actually talks about that. Psalm 31, and we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. Never underestimate God's power to provide peace and rest for your body and soul. He will do it when you don't think anybody else can do it. He will do it for you. Amen? In verse 7 of Psalm 31, it says, I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love. Now, that, look at this attitude that the psalmist is writing about. I am rejoicing, and I am glad in your faithful love because you have seen what? My affliction. You are suffering, and yet, because you're praying to God for peace, he is giving you that peace and rest, and you're rejoicing for it. But you're still in affliction. It doesn't say anything about removing any affliction from you. It doesn't say anything about removing any thorns from you. Nothing's been removed. You are bearing it. You are getting through it. Don't miss that. You have known the troubles of my life. Troubles. Verse 8, and have not handed me over to the enemy. You're praying for protection from who? Satan. Satan is who you are fighting against here in this moment of affliction and difficulty. Satan will tell you, oh, just give up. Satan will tell you, it's not worth it. You don't care about that child. You don't want to have anything to do with that child. That's Satan talking to you. Look at the last part of that verse, verse 8. You have set my feet in a spacious place. A spacious place. You can interpret that where you feel closed in when you're going through affliction. You feel like all the problems of the world are coming down upon you. God gives you a place of space and rest and peace in the midst of your affliction. And trouble. But it's because you recognize He does that for you. You know, when you're thirsty and you want a drink of water, what's the natural thing for you to do? Go get a drink of water. Have you ever refused getting a drink of water when you're thirsty? Well, guess what? When you don't pray to God in situations like this, you're refusing His help. He's there for you. He says he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But you can refuse his help. You can suffer in your own affliction. You can just wallow in your own misery. Because you choose to do so. Go to Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. God doesn't want you to suffer in your own affliction. Doesn't want you to wallow in misery. Doesn't want you to just always experience trouble. He makes an appeal to us here in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. He wants you to come to him with your burdens, come to him with your problems, come to him with your troubles. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Amen? Come to me, all of you, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But you've got to go to him. Verse 29, all of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for yourselves. You're going to find it. You're going to have it. Ask for it. You'll get it. Flip back to Isaiah 40, please. Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Many of you already know this verse. It's a great life verse. If you're looking for a life verse, here's a life verse for you. Now we're going to read 30 and 31 together because we want to make sure that we understand that. 30 is important too. Some of us just look at verse 31. But let's look at what it says in verse 30. It says, youths may faint and grow weary. And young men stumble and fall. And you know, that's all of us. We really get down to it. We all get weary. We all stumble and fall. But look what it says in verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord. Amen. Amen will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Have you ever been tired, so tired, you don't know where you get your energy from, and all of a sudden God gives you this burst? Amen. That is not an accident. He gives you the energy that you need if you trust in him. While others around you are growing weary and faint. And dropping like flies. He gives you rest. He gives you the energy. He gives you the ability. They will walk and not faint. And one more verse. Go all the way back to James chapter 1. Because we need to see all these verses together. To see how God is trying to encourage us. To seek him in all this stuff. Not take the burden on yourself. Seek him in all of this. In James chapter 1, verse 5, because we don't always have it all together. We don't have all the information we need sometimes in dealing with situations. We don't sometimes know how to deal with our children. Amen? What do you do with these people? But the verse gives us guidance in that. It says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, who? God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing. And it will be given to him. The first thing you're doing in your prayer about your child is asking God for wisdom on how to deal with this child. Do you understand that? When you take matters into your own hands, what happens? Sometimes it blows right back up in your face. Which we don't really want to talk about, do we? Because it may be a trigger in your mind of how you tried to do something that you thought it was a good idea and it didn't work. And it may have made things even worse. But if you're seeking the Lord and asking for wisdom, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Do you know that? Amen? Amen? Y'all really quiet today. I don't know if it's because of sleep, sleep deprivation. I'm not really sure what it is right now. But it's okay. This is a serious subject. So we need to understand that God gives us the wisdom to be able to deal with our children. But we have to ask for it. Now, this endeavor... Is not a sprint. Amen? It's a marathon. Where have you heard that before? This is not something you can do right away. If you want God to be your genie and Mr. Fix It, you're going to the wrong God. Because He doesn't work that way, He works in His way. It is a marathon. You're in it for the long haul because you want the best for your child and you don't know when God is going to reach that child to change the behaviors and eventually the outcome. Because that's what you want. You want that. You want the child to change their behavior and change the outcome. This is always going to be part of God's mysterious ways that he draws people near to himself is part of how he operates. But always remember that he loves your child more than you ever could. Is that something hard to believe? How can God love my child more than I can? Well, he does. He loves your child more than you ever could. And he wants the very best for all of us. You and your child. Amen? He wants the best for us. He want, He hurts when you hurt for your child. He has the desire, though, to work in his will and make changes. But we don't always see him. We don't always see the results. But that's him working. One more important verse to look at. And I, I want to use, take the context of the verse for what we just talked about. Go to Jeremiah 29. Now, most of you will gravitate right to verse 11. But we're going to read verses 10 and 11. Because that's being done on purpose here. I want you to see Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11. And understand the context of this verse. The people that are being addressed here in Scripture are being afflicted. They are being persecuted. There is a conquest that's going on. And what's happening here is that these people who have been not following the Lord are going to see a demise take place. Look at verse 10. It says, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. These people are in exile. They've been removed from their land. Not a lot of good stuff is going on here. There's affliction that's taking place. There's trouble is taking place. There's hurting is taking place. So that verse 10 sets up verse 11, which is the verse we always talk about. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, reading those two verses together has a totally different understanding, doesn't it? But it drives the point home. I included verse 10 to show that even as God has plans for our hope in the future, we need to remember that our time and God's timing is much different. Here he's talking about 70 years. And those are 70 literal years. Well, we want things to happen that are good for our child right now. We absolutely do want that. We want the best for him. But we also know that God has to work in this to make it stick. You got that? God has to work in this to make it stick. In other words, not just be something that's temporary or temporal. We've got to respect God's timing We pray for the change But we respect God's timing in that And that's a burden That should be lifted from you If you're waiting for something to happen right now That's a burden you cannot carry As a parent It'll crush you That burden will crush you He is our change agent For our wayward child God's timing has to be in that. Amen? An important aspect of your ministry to your wayward child is how you interact with your child. Now here's where we get to the interaction. Look at, look at all the preparation we did here. We talked about your attitude first. That's where we spend most of our time. We spend most of our time where your attitude is before you even talk to your child. Amen? That's important. Now, how do you interact with your child? No matter how you feel about what he or she is doing, you're always to show yourself to be open for the child to come home to you or have social time. Amen? Some of us are estranged from our children. We don't have a relationship with our children. But that doesn't mean that if there is an opportunity for you to have fellowship or time with that child, that you shouldn't do it. That may be God's timing, working in all the whole thing. You don't condone their sin, and you establish ground rules as to behavior if the child is at your house, for example, for a period of time. You still have the same rules. You still have the same guidelines that you had before. They should always, even with all of that, see the love of Christ in you, even when you're communicating that information. They should always see the love of Christ in you when they look at you. Amen? The love of Christ has to be present whenever they look at you. Do you know sometimes, you're, you may have heard a previous message about the moral compass. Sometimes you are the moral compass for your child. You should be. When they look at you, they should see the love of Christ, but they should see righteousness. Righteousness. You're supposed to love your child in the midst of your disappointment. That's a tough thing to do. You're disappointed, but you love him anyway. It's tough to do, but with God's help, you can do it. You can do it. With God's help, you can do it. You're to regard your child in the same way that God sees you. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7b, I'll just read it. It says, Man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. That's how you're supposed to be seeing your child. That's how God sees you. You don't look at outward appearances. You don't look at your child who has gotten all tatted up or whatever they've done. You don't look at how they look. You're looking at the child's heart. Amen? Ooh, this might be one of those sermons just file away and never talk about again, some of y'all. Amen. Because it's hard stuff. Understandably, your ongoing prayers for help and guidance in maintaining the proper attitude will go a long way in this area. Your attitude is going to go a long way. When you're communicating with your child. When you're welcoming your child. Pray for the right words. Amen. Pray for the right words to use. Amen and amen. And the boldness to remain steadfast in righteousness. Because what is important here is that you remain steadfast in your righteousness. Understand something. Many people will fall Victim to loving their children as friends to get along and thereby compromising their belief, their faith, just to maintain a relationship. You don't have to do that. You do not need to do that. Your children, no matter how much it bothers them, it pains them, need to see you living for Christ. They need to see you doing everything right. It's not about making them feel better. If anything, you want to convict them through your faith. Be nice to them. Pray for the right words. Be polite. Have the conversations, but don't compromise your faith. Amen. Go to Proverbs 16, 7. Here's a really important verse to remember, too, when we talk about this. This is so important. You cannot compromise your faith before anyone. You should not, because you just become like the world when you do that. So God is giving you guidance here. In Proverbs 16:7, I'll wait for you to get there because you need to see it too as I say it. Proverbs 16:7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he, meaning God, makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's all about your actions, your attitude for the Lord. The Lord paves the way for you to be a living testimony for him. We don't have a whole lot of people doing that today. So he is truly going to lift up that person who is righteous before him and make that testimony. Just like the parable of the seeds. The righteous person will sow 100 times. Because he's trusting in the Lord. He is a multiplier. And he's going to make even your enemies, frankly, just not mess with you. Be at peace with you. Now, if you take that literally, sometimes your child is your enemy. (coughs) Because of how he's thinking or she's thinking. But your righteousness, God is going to work with that child through you. You've got to believe that. You've got to trust in that. In the same way that you're looking for the right words to say, keep your communication open with your child. Keep the communication open. Send emails and texts to keep in touch when you can. You know the text messages are obviously gonna be very brief like what's going on how you doing what's happening the emails are going to have more substance to them your emails should not be something like what's up by itself there should be more substance to those emails writing something that's on your heart you know what i mean now look we're in a modern age you guys know what i'm talking about most of you know what text messages are most of you certainly know what emails are <laughs> I mean, I could say write a letter. You can write letters too if you want to. It's going to cost you 50 cents to mail it. That's up to you. Keep the communication open. Emails and texts. If you can do it, do it. Take an interest in the things that interest them, as long as they're not contrary to living for Christ. If your children like snowboarding, Take an interest in that and talk about that with them. Whatever it is. If there are things they like to do, you want to find common ground with them. Have lunch or dinner with them. And keep the conversation as light as possible. Every time your kids see you, they shouldn't have to hear about the Lord did this, the Lord did that, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, lordy, lordy, lordy. They shouldn't have to hear that every time they talk to you. Amen? Your actions are already going to speak for that. You don't need to do all that stuff. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You don't want to bury the child in hearing about how you're following the Lord, and they're not. They already know that. They already know this. They can see that. you're trying to build your relationship with the child. Even though it's your child, it's still an adult communicating in many ways with an adult. Once they're 18, they're adults. Amen. Amen. They're old enough to go off to war at that point, y'all. You're talking to an adult. Treat them like an adult. You don't treat them like a child. Keep your focus on the love of Christ through your communication and keep the lines open, free, and clear when you're communicating with them. All of this effort is to keep the focus on the saving, grace, and love of Jesus Christ. They want I want you to when you're communicating with them for them to see all of this come out. First John four sixteen. We've come to know and believe the love the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. Turn to another verse for me, please. John chapter 10. John 10. We'll go to John 10, verses 7 through 10. You need to be the person that leads people to the door. Of Jesus Christ. Now this is dealing with your child. If your child's not a believer. But even if they are believers. You need to take them back to where the roots are. Understanding that. We are sheep. And we're going to follow. Whoever we choose to follow. But sometimes the people try to get in the way of that. Let's face it. Your kids have been exposed to so much stuff. A lot of people have gotten in the way of Christ. And that's why they're not following them. Let's look at what verses 7 through 10 say in John chapter 10. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Pasture is space, pasture is a place of rest. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Remember, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy his people. Our children. You got that? Satan's the thief. God assures us that no one will be snatched out of his hand if they have fellowship in Jesus Christ that's the assurance that we do have and we're just to keep praying for those kids that we have raised who may have been raised in the household but don't know the Lord because Satan wants to snatch them away but we point them in the direction of Christ who has life and can provide it in abundance so you've got to provide that path to that door of Christ in your actions you are the path That leads people to that door. That allow people to enter in and accept Christ as Savior. Amen? Amen. You are the path to that door. Jesus Christ. They need to see in you the love of Christ in everything you do. You are the path that leads to the doorway. Amen? Amen? Amen. You've got to provide that path for the child to pursue the Lord. Pursue Jesus Christ at the appointed time. Whenever that time is. Don't block the path. Don't block the way. Don't be a hindrance. Be the path. Show God's love to your child through your actions. Through your words. Through your deeds. Through your consistent behavior. We have the blessed assurance that Jesus Christ will welcome your wayward child at a moment's notice. As soon as that person acknowledges Christ, it's instantaneous. That day will be indeed a day of praise and thanksgiving when your child returns. You know, I didn't even use any references in this message about the prodigal son, but you know what happens with the prodigal son passage. As soon as that child comes back, There's singing, there's dancing, there's a party going on. It's all good. And that's regardless of what the child had done. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Keep your child before the Lord and bathe the matter in prayer. And remember to seek him with righteousness in everything that you do. And God will hear your appeals couple more verses and then we'll close out. Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18. Now this is taking into account that this is always going to be something that's going to cause you a lot of difficulty and stress because you care and love your child. But God is going to respond to your appeals. But look at the word. Look what the word says in verse 17. The righteous cry out. And the Lord hears. And delivers them from all their troubles. Notice the word righteous. The righteous cry out. Righteous is a very important word. Because if you're not righteous, you can cry out all you want to. Won't mean anything. Verse 18 The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One more Proverbs 15, verses 29 and 30. Proverbs 15, verses 29 and 30. Keep praying for peace. Keep praying for the words to say for your child. Keep praying for the Lord to be present continuously in this whole thing. Keep remembering, though, that you need to be righteous before Him when you do so. The Lord is far from the wicked, in verse 29, but He hears the prayer of the, there's that word again, the righteous. Bright eyes cheer the heart. Good news strengthens the bones. Amen? Amen. Good news strengthens the bones. Rest, peace, pasture, space, all can be yours if you're trusting in God through this process. God hears your prayers. God knows that you anguish for your child. God knows because he feels the same thing. He wants the best for you. He wants the best for your child. Amen? Don't ever miss that. It's not all about you. It's not all about you. He wants us to have that relationship with him that will glorify him. And when we're doing that and we're doing our part, God is going to move mountains for us. Amen? Amen. God will move mountains for us when we are righteous before him. He'll do it in his timing, but he's going to do it. Amen? Father. You are an amazing God who does not miss anything, has not missed anything, and never will miss anything when it comes to our lives, the things that are important to us, and especially our children. Lord, we pray to you, Lord, that we can just have that relationship with you that will glorify you first and foremost. And in doing so, we can be righteous before you. And in doing so, we know that we can pray to you and ask for anything and everything and you will respond we thank you for our children we thank you for the gift of life for them we thank you that lord they have an opportunity now to have a testimony before you and that they indeed will glorify you one day we thank you for looking after our children we thank you for giving them travel mercies and protection wherever they go wherever they are whatever they're doing We pray, Lord, that you will draw them back to you. That you will draw them near to you where that you are the most important thing to them and not to their own desires, not to their own selfishness, not to their own things that they think are important. Lord, you know our prayers for our children. You know how we have anguished over them. You know how we have suffered over them. Help us to bear that load to be able to endure it. And we thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your gentleness, in your responses. We thank you for the peace that comes from the prayer that we give up to you. We thank you for the rest as well, too. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you do for us. Help us to always bring matters to you, no matter large or small, that you will hear them, you will recognize them, and you'll know that our hearts are just to serve you in whatever we do, be obedient to your word. And we give you the thanks and praise for the answers to prayer and the good results. For you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' precious name, amen. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of all of it.